the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Well, folks, welcome once again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. We gather every weekend, and Alan Dempsey gathers as well to do the engineering. And Andrew Herdliska does all the producing for us. And in the first half hour, Rick Bazette is with us, the founder, lead pastor of New Life Church in Little Rock, Arkansas, Central Arkansas, and we're going to talk about his book, Be Real, with Baker Books, because fake is exhausting. Uh, Is that right, Rick? That's exactly right. It is very exhausting. Yeah, a lot of people are tired, and they don't know why, and uh, and I believe it might have something to do with being authentic. That's interesting. Do you believe that the world is full of fakers? Even Christians (laughs) often put on a facade? (laughs) You know, it happens, uh, for for sure. I, I grew up in a church where you really didn't even show up at the church with the real you. I mean, these people were kind, but it was just a plastic world. And um, so I know in particular, when my, my family showed up, my mom and dad had one of the, the worst marriages you could imagine back in those days. But when we showed up at church, we looked good. And uh, and we walked in with confidence, and it was all—it was just fake. No one taught us to do that, but it just wasn't a community where you could take out your heart, throw it out there, and people to take care of you when you're going through difficult things. So when you had an urgency, or when you had weak issues, when when you had any issue, the last thing you would do is show up at church and let anybody know about it. Because back in those days, the people were, they, they looked so clean and crisp and proper. And and uh, so we, we faked it at church. And then when I went to Bible school, this is the reason why I wrote the book. When I went to Bible school, they taught us, and they still do this in some of the seminaries around the country now, and even around the world, uh, the deans will, will teach you that to be in the ministry, it is lonely. And that you can't have friends, and you can't you can't get close to people, and therefore, if you're having a bad day, it's touch not the anointing. And so you got to show up at church and look great, and and uh, lead the people from a position of strength and joy. And so I remember when I was in Bible school, uh, I was thinking, I'm not I'm not going to have any friends. I'm going to be alone, and and. Uh, and so they they convinced me that I had to live my ministry life that way. So I graduated from Bible school, and then I got into the ministry the same month that I got married. It all happened in the same month. And my first year of marriage was our difficult year. My wife and I were fighting all the time. Uh, you know that scripture that says, don't go to bed with anger in your heart? <laughs> we were staying up for like 10 to 12 days at a time trying <laughs> to work that out fighting all the time, and but no one knew that my, my life was in a struggle. No one knew that our marriage was in a struggle. And I remember um, I had to speak to this church. There was probably 10,000 members in this church. It was my first time to ever be asked to speak at a large church, and my wife and I were arguing, and, and I had to go into my room to study, and, and this is where the book came together for me. Because my wife said something to me that made me angry. And uh, I yelled at her. I said, Michelle, shut up. Mm. I'm trying to get my sermon together. Please just leave me alone. And my wife broke. and uh, But I didn't have time to deal with it. And uh, so I went into my office, and I was seeking the Lord. And I felt, I felt the Lord 
convict me and tell me to apologize to my wife, was which was a huge and a difficult thing for me to do. So I went back into the room, and she was crying. I said, Michelle, I'm sorry. I don't know what's wrong with me. And she looked at me, and she said, who are you? Mm. Were you being real when we were dating? Are you real when you yell at me in the living room? Are you being real when you preach a sermon? Who are you? And I looked at her. She said, everyone thinks our marriage is great, and you know it's not true. What is going on? Mm. And I walked into my office, and, uh, and I asked the Lord to forgive me. And of course, I had apologized to my wife. But when I went back into my office, I sent the Lord. I've never heard God's direct voice, but I know that he was, he, he was telling me, he said, when you speak this weekend, I want you to tell the entire church. And I was on staff at this church. He said, I want you to tell the entire church what you said to your wife. Mm. And I want you to speak on being real and how you yelled at her. I want you to tell them. And I said, God, I can't do that. They taught us in Bible school never to do that. God, that's not how you do ministry. God, you need to go to Bible school. They'll clear all that up. That's just not how you do it. And, uh, well, I decided not to do it that way. And in the middle of my sermon, I could sense that I was off track, and I closed my Bible, and I told everybody the story I just told you. And it was in that moment when I came clean, and I, I looked at my wife, and I said, baby, I'm sorry the way I've been speaking to you, and I'm, I'm going to change this somehow. I'm going to get this settled. And it was in that moment where I thought I was disqualifying myself for ministry, but in that moment, I really sensed the Lord had his arms around me like, this is my son. Thank you. This is my boy. Thank you for doing this right. And, uh, and so I started making this journey. I found a friend or two to open up my heart with and pray for my marriage. But it got worse, man, because here's, here's where I decided to write the book. My wife and I were counseling with this girl during that first year of marriage when we were struggling. And, uh, and this girl was depressed. And I didn't understand depression back then. There's some people that are listening now where depression is real. And I didn't, I didn't understand it. So this girl kept meeting with us. It was a hundred hours of documented time we tried to help her. And, uh, one day I was, I was just tired and I looked at her and I regret this. But I looked at this girl and I said, look, I don't know how depressed you really are. I think maybe you're just coming over here to hang out with my wife and I because you're lonely. Mm. And she said, what? Mm. You don't believe me? And she stormed out of my office, got in a car, squirreled out, drove home, found her dad's pistol. No. And she put it in her mouth and she blew her brains out. Oh, my goodness. And still to this day, I know for sure that I contributed mm. almost all of that. And uh, so I had to wade through that. But here's the problem, Pat. Here's, here's when I realized I've got to get this right. For the next six months, I was totally defeated and totally dead. But not one person in the world knew. Everyone thought I was doing great. I knew when to high-five someone and when to say praise the Lord and when to look like I had my edge, but I was totally defeated. And that's when it hit me that I have the ability to fake my relationship with God, and I'm good at it. And then I realized, wait a second, I think a lot of Christians are good at it. And I started looking at the early church and the way that the early church started. And the Bible says that they were growing daily, but they were in community. And there's a verse in, in Acts 2 where it says, in verse 44 to 46, it says, And daily they were meeting together with the favor of God, and they were doing so with glad and sincere hearts. That was the original intent of God. When he, when he, when he started the church, he intended... For us, if we really want to know what it was designed like, what he wants us to be like, you you look at the early church, and they were together, they were real, they were honest, people could tell how they were doing, and I believe that it's exhausting as a Christian to live any other way, and it's lonely. So I wrote it with that in mind. You know, every now and then I'll, I'll talk to someone who's alone as a Christian, 
And, uh, and I'll tell them, man, you, you're going to have to be in authentic community somewhere. And their tendency is to say something like this, Pat. They'll say, they'll say, all I really need is God. Man, I have God. That's all I really need. But there's not one verse in the Bible to back that up. It's, it's more of God and more of a relationship with others. The Bible says if you confess your sin to God, he will forgive you. But then it says that if you confess your sin to one to another, you'll be healed. Rick Bazette is with us from Little Rock, Arkansas. His book is out. It's called Be Real. Uh, you're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. More with Rick Bazette right after this. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. This just in. Death, destruction, and violence. Film at 11. Come on. Is all the news really bad? How about some good news in your daily routine? You'll find it when you log on to Christianity.com. They've got great devotionals, terrific Bible study tools, quizzes, and links to the day's most inspiring stories from around the web. Get good news every day when you set your homepage to Christianity.com. Make a difference in your Internet life. Christianity.com. This is Dennis McKenzie for Families by Design. Strong families are designed by God. Do you want your family designed by God? For inspirational principles for today's families, listen to Families by Design with your host, Dr. Daniel Forbes, and attorney, Delta Chen. Families by Design airs every Sunday at 9 p.m. That's Families by Design on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Join us weekdays at 7 p.m. for Wonders in the Word, a radio broadcast of the everlasting gospel featuring inspiring and life-changing messages from Pastor Doug Batchelor. Wonders in the Word is a program that covers a wide range of topics, including the Sabbath, the Mark of the Beast, health, and many other topics. Wonders in the Word, a radio ministry of amazing facts. Weeknights at 7 p.m. on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN and WTLN.com. Hi, this is Dr. Ahmad from the Salt Room Wellness Center at Millennia, inviting you to my brand new program, Healthy Positive Living, now Saturday afternoon at 4. Every week we discuss an important topic that will pertain to your health concerns from an integrative point of view. And this isn't another stale health show. It's informative, exciting, and we'll have some fun along the way. We'll see you here for your healthy, positive living. Saturday afternoon at 4 on the new 950 WTLN. Listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Rick Bazette, founder and lead pastor of New Life Church. Uh, his book is out. It's called Be Real. Rick, it's not easy to be real. What are some of the best things about it, though? Well, it's when, it's when you get your edge back. I mean, Faking your relationship with the Lord, it, it really is exhausting. And uh, but a lot of Christians are they're very lonely. They're doing life alone. And uh, whenever whenever you decide that you're going to be an authentic community, I, you know I think that's when we start enjoying the trip. We're, we're going to heaven, but we're not enjoying the ride. And. Uh, since I've written this book, uh, I am shocked on how many people are, are not only reading it, but they're bringing it to discussion in their families. They're, they're bringing it to small groups and, uh, and because people are craving. It's sort of a missing link in, in, in our, our relationship with God. Rick Bazette is our guest from Little Rock, Arkansas. So what's the first step someone should take to stop being fake and move towards a life of being real? What's the first action? Well, you know, you have like uh, people like Jacob in the Bible. Here he was wrestling against God, and the Lord wanted to change him. But then finally the Lord looked at him and said, who, who are you? Would you just be honest with me for a second? Could you just tell me the truth? 
and uh, and he said his name was Jacob. Uh, and back in those days, he was basically saying, "I'm I'm a deceiver." This is what he told God. He said, "Okay, here, God, I, I have been wrestling with you, but I want to be blessed, and so I'm going to do what you say. I'm going to I'm going to tell you who I really am. I'm I'm a deceiver." Mm. And when God heard him say that, he he changed who he was. He changed his name. He never walked the same again. That's the first step, getting along with the Lord and saying, okay, Lord, this is who I really am. And I remember you were, you were talking earlier on the show, you know, somebody talking about this, our, our country or people that's going to pot. And, and when, I, when, I, when I got out of college, this was my biggest weakness. I started smoking pot when I was in, in college, and, uh, and I loved it. And after I gave my heart to the Lord, uh, I knew this was going to be a vulnerable spot for me and uh, a weakness. So I called my only mentor or friend, a person I could be accountable with, and I told him, I said, man, I really believe if I have a chance to smoke pot again, I'm going to do it. I'm worried about this. And, uh, and he said, well, you just made the right first step. He said, now, if you'll tell the Lord about this and talk to him about it, you can have victory over this. It was it was probably a year later. In fact, I was pumping gas in my car. I was a professional golfer back in those days. I was going to a golf tournament. I was pumping gas in my car, and I dropped my keys, and they landed on top of a joint, on top of marijuana. <laughs> and I picked up my keys, and I picked up the joint, and I put it in my pocket, and it, initially, I was thinking, wow, what a great break I'm having right now. I got in my car, and I punched in a cigarette lighter just like I did for many days in college. Took that joint out of my pocket, and I put it in my mouth, and, and the cigarette lighter popped out, and it hit me. This is what I've been talking to the Lord about. I don't have to have this. I'm, my life is great. And I took it, and I threw it out the window. One time I was telling that story, and a lady said, you shouldn't throw stuff out the window. I said, well, it's more illegal to smoke pot inside the car. And so, but I know that I won that moment just because I was honest with God about it. So that's the first step, being honest with the Lord. The second thing, finding someone that you trust, a confidant. You can't be transparent with everyone. But you can be you can be transparent with someone, and just start with a relationship that you trust. It might be somebody that's on a phone because they live so far away. But try to find someone that you can share your biggest weakness. What what what's going on inside of you where you are vulnerable? And then now as a pastor, although for the first several years I was alone and I didn't have any friends, but now as I travel about and speak at different churches and do what I do. All the churches that are life-giving and full of life, the pastors are in strong community. The people are with people that they trust or will open up their heart with. So the first thing is to tell God what it is that you struggle about. And the second thing is to is to tell a friend, to be honest with someone that will pray with you and walk through life with you. It's to the point now where I have such close friends that when I walk into the church, or into my living room, if I have friends there, they know how I'm doing just by my countenance on my face because we have become friends. Nothing more than the fancy term covenant relationships that are clearly described in the Bible. Rick Bazette is our guest. I like the word authenticity. What does God have to say about authenticity? What do you think there, Rick? Well, you know, it's, it's clear to me that, that God God tells us to have confidence in our approach to Him. And He says, draw near to me. In Hebrews, He says, draw near to me with a sincere heart. Uh, that word sincere is the word authentic and authenticity, being genuine. This is, this is what the Lord is looking for, that, the, 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 the problem is God already knows everything about us, but that's not being authentic. Just because he knows doesn't mean that we're authentic. 
And uh, going back to my story of the pot, it, I think it was that I told my uncle, Uncle Randall, I believe, he was the accountability person I was referring to, I believe this is the place where I am weakest. And uh, he told me, he got it right, he said, man, when you tell the Lord, when you're honest like that, it's like God is saying, thank you. You're giving me something to work with. That's why I believe he likes and craves for us to be authentic. You're listening to the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. My guest from Little Rock, Arkansas, Rick Bizet. we're talking about his book, uh, Be Real. Uh, by the way, I'm interested in this, Rick. Uh, what do you think are the common ways that Christians, other people, fake it in life? What have you observed over the years? Great question. Um, I think they they try to hide everything that that is of value. It's usually what's most important to you is what you hide the most. For example, your marriage or your finances or your children or your health. If you're very full of fear, you try to hide that. If you have no confidence, you try to act like you do. If you have a lot of anger and you lose your temper consistently, you try to act like you're a person of peace. Uh, we hide where we are weak. And, um, and, and, I, and I sense that when, when, when people decide that this is not the way they're going to live anymore, and they just share their heart. I, I, I just challenge everyone listening in right now. I know you have a large listening audience, and they love tuning in. And I just challenge all of you. Some of you out there, you're hurting right now, and you don't know what to do. And you've thought, I've I, I tried everything. What's going on? I feel weak in my relationship with God. Or I'm struggling in my relationship with other people. Maybe you haven't tried everything. When, when this program is done, I would challenge you to get along with the Lord somewhere. And this is the reason why a lot of people don't have an encouraging prayer life. They've never tried an authentic prayer. Just get along with the Lord and say, Lord, I'm dealing with major anger. Please help me. Or, Lord, my marriage is broken. Or, Lord, I can't apologize to my wife when I'm wrong. Or, Lord, my kids are wayward. Or, Lord... I have no confidence. I haven't dreamt a dream in years for you. Whatever it is, just get along with God and tell him. And while you're down there, ask the Lord to show you a name of someone that you can trust to let them in on the uh, the, the equation of authenticity. Rick, um, attending your church, what, what's it like? If we popped yeah. in on a Sunday morning, what what would uh, what would we experience? Well, we are here in Arkansas. We started 14 years ago, and uh, with one family, and then one day we had another family. And uh, but now we've had uh, over 60,000 decisions for Christ. Mm. We've had uh, over 25,000 water baptisms, and mm. we uh, we have 10 campuses all across the state of Arkansas. And our vision is to have 50. And so if you walked into a service, you would see a lot of people who are enjoying the presence of God. Um, it's a non-spooky church, though. It's a church that everybody wants to bring their friends to. Every 45 days, the people that attend our church bring a friend with them. They're constantly thinking, who can they bring next? And uh, But we're strong church relationally. Discipleship is what we fight for getting everyone in community. Yes, we're growing larger. We are a very large church now, but we try hard to grow smaller simultaneously. And so I think what you would see is a community that is life-giving. You would see authentic relationships, and you'd probably want to come back. What uh, what kind of preacher are you? How do you go about your Sunday service, your Sunday preaching? Yeah, well, I speak for about, I assume you meant, different things like this. I speak for about 35 to 40 minutes. Mm -hmm. and, uh, I'm not a preacher. I am a, a teacher slash communicator. And uh, we do teach uh, topically, but we also, like next year, we'll take the year of the Bible and we'll just go through the 
the word, helping people understand the, the word. And we're just a word church. We, we love teaching the word and we do that in the pulpit. And we also do that in our small groups with preaching. Talk, talk to me about Sunday school and life groups. Uh, yeah. Why, why are they important in church? Well, you know, we're all over this topic of authenticity, and Sunday school is really great because Sunday school, we don't have Sunday school. So you you might say, well, then why do you think it's great and you don't have it? Well, Sunday school is great because it can be a one-stop shop. You know, people are busy. They're traveling through life at Mach 2, but they finally get to church. If they could get involved in their small group in that same move, you know, they drive to church, and you can also be involved in the small group. That is ideal. I love churches that have that option. The problem with Sunday school is that it's very expensive to, to build Sunday school rooms. Not every church can do that. And uh, so a lot of churches have shifted to community and homes. And uh, so I don't care if it's in a Sunday school or if it's in a living room. Uh, I just do not believe that you can grow as Christ follower without being in community. The Bible says, do not live alone. That I can't say to the hand that I don't need you. We must be in fellowship with one another. And Christians are acing being alone, and it's just an unhealthy place to live. It really is exhausting. And I think we really need to repent from it, turn around and say, okay, God, I'm not going to live alone anymore. Describe Little Rock, Arkansas, Rick, to uh, one who's never been there. Wow. I'm Bill and Hillary, uh, obviously, <laughs> uh, came from this area. Uh, Bill was governor for, for years. This was before I moved to the state. And uh, so uh, you, you can see the remnants of that. For example, his library is here. And, uh, but what I love about Little Rock is, is it's a it's a very clean community. It's uh and it's also there's not much racial tension uh, in this city. I came out of Louisiana, and you could always spill it in the uh, in in the environment. Uh, as a as a white person, I, I could tell that uh, black people probably didn't have a lot of confidence that I loved them, and I had to work hard on that. And they had to do the same thing with the white community. It's a lot of reasons for that. This guy named David Duke ran for governor, and that didn't help. But in, in Little Rock, uh, although it was major racial tension many years ago, now it's just everybody really loves one another. The churches are uh, a lot of times uh, interracial, not not all of them, but if they want to be, they can be multi-ethnic, and I love that. The restaurants are great. It's a very family community. Uh, people are moving to Little Rock and to Arkansas from the West Coast. Uh, it's the natural state. My guest has been Rick Bazette, founder and lead pastor of New Life Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. We've been talking about his book, Be Real. We've got more folks on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN in Orlando, Florida. You're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, we are back right after this. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. For hours of good, clean family fun, log on to GodTube.com. Your favorite Christian inspirational videos, music videos, comedians, and more. Available 24-7 at GodTube.com. Join Richard Jordan, president of Grace School of the Bible, as he opens God's Word every Sunday afternoon at 5.30 on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. If you missed the Sunday broadcast, you can listen and study along with Dr. Jordan 24-7 at WTLN.com by clicking on the podcast tab and then Riches of Grace. Riches of Grace, a service of Grace Impact Ministries at graceimpact.org. 5.30 Sunday on the new 94. Point nine FM and AM 950 WTLN. Hey, this is Michael Medved, and if you're a business owner or a manager in Central Florida, you ought to know that Bolt Signs 
wants to get your business noticed. When you need signs of any kind in a flash, call Bolt. Visualize your business logo, message, or event announcement in full color on beautiful vinyl banners of virtually any size. Large format digital printing is Bolt's specialty. The creative staff at Bolt Signs will recreate your image on banners, vehicle wraps, wall wraps, magnetic signs, even dimensional signage for almost any surface in a flash. Call Bolt for a free on-site consultation. That's right, Bolt's design consultants will come to you. New businesses need to get your message out. Bolt Signs will be there in a flash. Bottom line, in Central Florida, if you need signs of any kind in a flash, call Bolt. Here's the number, 407-865-SIGN, or go to myboltsigns.com. When you need signs of any kind in a flash, call Bolt Signs, 407-865-SIGN, for Bolt Signs, or go to myboltsigns.com. Listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Represent our guest in the first half hour from Little Rock, Arkansas, talking about his book, Be Real. Susie Davis is the co-founder of Austin Christian Fellowship. Uh, Her new book is out with Waterbrook. It's called Unafraid, Trusting God in an Unsafe World. Susie, nice to catch up with you, and uh, I'm glad we can visit here. Unafraid, Trusting God in an Unsafe World. Tell me that there's a story behind this book. There has to be. Uh, what, what is that story? Well, I, I heard the story of the, the news, the good news about Jesus when I was 12. That pushed them to the brink and of possible I was military all in with Jesus. He was my this hero. It was the living Bible and uh, rainbows and butterflies. And then when I was 14 years old, um, I was sitting in my English class um, in May, and um, one of the students in our class walked in unexpectedly with a rifle and shot mm. and killed our teacher in front of us. No kidding. So it changed my view of God and the world and my little neighborhood that I thought was safe, and it introduced a huge fear issue into my life. Let, let's go back to that moment. Where, where right. was Susie, where was that? It was in Austin, Texas, way back in 1978, when we just didn't hear about things like this. I mean... This summer alone, we've we've heard about several incidents where people walked into churches and theaters, and it's sadly becoming more commonplace. But way back then, um, this was unheard of. And I grew up in Austin was a sleepy town uh, back then, and I had a safe little neighborhood. And um, like I said, I was sitting in English class. We were listening to um, our teacher talk in the front of the room, and one of the students came in late with a rifle and he um shot and killed him and then, then what did this guy do did, he, did, did what did you all do as students well we we were you know at first it was one of those things it was a gifted and talented class and we were like is this some kind of you know dramatized mm. something i mean a million things are flashing through your head um and it happened so fast um and then when our dear teacher hit the floor, and, and there was blood everywhere. Suddenly, we all realized in an instant that it wasn't it wasn't some weird, you know, creative curriculum. Um, and the, the boy who, who committed this murder turned around and walked out, but we didn't even see him at that point. We were only concerned with our teacher. Um, and we stood up screaming and and literally ran out and one one of the kids ran all the way home my friend and Cheryl and I ran to the office and honestly there was disbelief when we told you know the administrators there's you know yeah. something horrible has happened because this just didn't happen um it just didn't happen my guest is Susie Davis. The book is called Unafraid, Trusting God in an Unsafe World. Um the first chapter Susie is called On the Curb. Right. What what does that mean? Well, it, you know, my my mom um, didn't used to let me cross the street without permission to visit my friend Julia. And so what Julia and I would do is sit curb to curb. She was across the street, and we would talk that way. And if cars came, we would scoot back into the yard. And so curb to curb really is about your perception of the world is a safe place. And if you follow the rules, then bad things don't happen. If you scoot into the yard when cars come by, then then you'll be safe. And, 
you know, I'm just looking back, and this book is written chronologically, and I'm looking back realizing that I had a beautiful childhood. And, you know, some people don't even get as far as I did to 14 before really hard things happened. But um, I, I had a perception that that you wouldn't have a sorrow and suffering like Jesus promised. I figured if, you know, somehow I followed the rules that good things would happen. Um, but I learned very quickly mm-hmm. <laughs> that that's not the way life is. And then you uh, write a topic called Promises. Right. And that really is about how I, um, you know, when I became a Christian, I focused in on key verses that meant a lot to me. Like one of them was, you know, that God has promised good things for my life. And so I thought that good things equal bad things would never happen. I thought that the, the promise that God would turn anything he could into good for me meant really that nothing bad would ever happen. Um, I, I really struggled with that. I struggled with this idea that, you know, bad things happen to people who love God in the same way that they happen to people who don't love God, and, and struggling with, well, what's, what's the point of having a relationship with God then? Um, and, you know, I come to realize much later that the, the reason that we have a relationship with God is not the promise that nothing bad will ever happen. It's actually just to be in a really amazing relationship with Him. Susie, the third topic is called the losing team. Yeah, and this is when I really realized that um, after the bad thing happened, I say that, um, the bad thing as in what witnessing the murder, um, I felt like fear was bigger than Jesus. I felt like Jesus was, you know, the quarterback, the championship game, and he throws an interception and loses the game for everybody. And, you know, in a lot of ways... I wanted Jesus to be the hero of my life, but I felt like he, I felt like God turned his back on me that day. I felt like he turned away for just a second and my world crashed into pieces. And slowly but surely I started really um, listening to the voice of fear and believing that if I listened to the voice of fear, nothing bad would happen. I thought that since God somehow lost control of the world that moment, way back in May, and that bad thing happened. It was my job to take care of myself, and that meant that I had to make plans with fear and prepare for the worst, and that if I prepared for the worst, I could somehow protect myself from anything bad ever happening again, which is a lie, <laughs> mm. but I grabbed, I grabbed on and held, held tight to that lie. What does easy prey mean? Yeah, um, so... In Genesis 3, we find Eve, and she is listening to whispers from the enemy. And he never, it's like when you look at that, if you go back and read Genesis 3, what you find is the enemy is is making suggestions that God is not fair, that God is holding out. And Eve, in her, what she does is she agrees by grabbing the apple and, and taking a big bite. And that's what happened with me in my life. There were suggestions like, maybe God's not taking care of you. Maybe you should take care of yourself. Maybe you should plan for the worst. Maybe God's plans for good, quote-unquote, in your life are really just a miserable life where you're, you know, where bad things keep happening. So I made plans with the enemy. I, I started preparing for the worst and let anxiety be my best friend. And that sounds weird, but I, I allowed fear to become an idol in my life, and I bowed down to it. And if the enemy whispered, you know, plans for the worst, I grabbed on, and I held on tight, and I became a fear freak is what I say. And now I want you to talk to this topic, close to the cradle. (laughs) So I would say that I became a fear freak, um, Pretty soon after, I mean, I started having panic attacks by the time I was 16. At 18, I couldn't sleep in my parents, I mean, my bed at night alone, so I dragged my comforter down the hall and sleep with my parents. I started letting fear whisper, and um, and that was bad enough. I was I was an extremely fearful person. But then when I had my first baby and I realized that, 
it was my job not to, not only to take care of me and to try to hypermanage my husband, who wouldn't always obey all my safety rules, um, but it was my job to make sure my child was never, nothing bad ever happened to him. And that's really when I became just an over-the-top anxious person. Um, I, I was a germaphobe. I, I was just a freak. If I heard one sad, horrible story, I somehow applied it personally and made sure that it never happened to me. You know, um, I only ate certain things. I washed his little my toddler's hands excessively. I mean, I was just, you know, honestly, I think it's it's how a lot of mothers feel. Like it's or feel they feel like it's their whole job to make sure nothing bad ever happens to any of their children, and and that is literally what I became. It's just this fear monger, this this fear, this person who couldn't live without preparing for the worst, who had no joy, who had no peace, who was just afraid all the time. Susie Davis is with us from Austin, Texas. Her book is called Unafraid, Trusting God in an Unsafe World. Uh, Waterbrook is the publisher. Susie, now uh, an interesting area you get into called Flat on the Floor. <laughs> is that you? That was me. I, You know, what happened is I, um, it, you know, it's gracious of, of God. He I prayed a dangerous prayer. I said, God, you know, if there's anything in me that you need to heal, would you heal it? And I didn't really think that there was anything God needed to heal, but I was in a Bible study, so I was like, well, I'll just pray the prayer. And about two months later, I ended up with post-traumatic stress disorder, um, which is a, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but I was, I could see the images of the murder. I could smell the smells. I could hear the screaming. And I literally felt like my brain was breaking apart. I had two small children at the time. I remember I put them down for a nap. I laid down on the floor to read a book, and I was just suddenly there was just this like this flood of horrifying images, and um, it was terrifying. And I I felt my heart racing. I felt pressure. I I was just full out post traumatic stress, and in that instant, God ever the gentleman came in with a whisper. Um, my husband is a pastor, and he had preached a couple weeks earlier on a, on a verse of a Psalm 22. And in Psalm 1 and 2, David says, um, My God, my God, I cry out to you, and you don't even answer me. You know, I, I'm crying out day and night, and yet you're silent. And that's how I felt like I had lived like 10 years. I was praying and calling out to God to make the world a safe place. And then in verse 3, it says, Yet you are holy. And what that is is David just saying, you know what I'm calling out to you? I don't feel like you hear me, yet you're holy. And that verse just washed over me in the middle of that post-traumatic stress episode. And I suddenly realized, you know, I had to do business with God. I had to accept that he's smarter than me, that he didn't walk out on me, that I don't understand it, but he's still holy. And that peace, that blessed breakdown, I now call it, and that verse, that one verse in Psalm 22.3, was really the start of my healing process, and this God broke off this fear addiction on my life. My guest, Susie Davis. Crying out loud is next, Susie. Susie? Yes. Crying out loud is uh, crying out, yeah, crying out loud is the next topic you get into. Yes. Um, Crying out loud, in this chapter I really talked about how important it is to mourn. And for so long I, you know, I was I was kind of trying to make the bad thing go away by, by not dealing with it. I wanted it to just disappear. And um, so I kind of acted like nothing bad ever happened. I didn't talk about the murder. My husband and I had been married like seven years and he really never even heard the details because I thought by not talking about it, it made it go away. Um, but after that post-traumatic stress episode and then, um, you know, really realizing that I was a broken woman, I just started grieving the loss of kind of my childhood and I started being honest about how hard things were and I started being honest about the, the way that fear had, you know, really overrun my life, and I did it with uh, about four other women in a small group. I just started being honest and vulnerable, and and that was the time when I think that was an additional um, component of my healing with God was being able to mourn and get that grief out 
out from inside of me and literally onto a table where I could be honest and my friends could help me, could love me through it and could help me understand who God was even in the middle of hard things. So I think that, you know, I know that, that, and it talks about it in the Bible, how we're to walk together in the light and just be honest about what's going on and be honest about where we are with God and and expect that we are not supposed to walk through life alone, especially when we're dealing with things like fear addictions and, and things like that. So- Susie Davis, our guest from Austin, Texas. We're talking about her book, Unafraid, Trusting God in an Unsafe World. Just a reminder, this is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, We do this every weekend on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And Susie Davis will be with us right after these messages, folks. Stay with us. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. We've been hearing a lot about Uber lately, so we decided to get out there and talk to some actual Uber partners to get our questions answered. Is signing up to drive with Uber really hard? Nope. Signing up with Uber is super easy. It was simple and easy. Okay, but can I drive my own car? Yes, yes, yes. You get to drive your own car. But my roommate doesn't even have a car. Can she drive with Uber? They can help her get a car, too. I wouldn't be able to get a vehicle if it wasn't for Uber. It took me less than six hours to get a car. So you could just sign up and earn money. Sign up, drive, and you make some money. You're saying I can just use the smart phone app to make money whenever I want? Yeah, you just open the app whenever you feel like driving. All I have to do is turn on my phone, hit the road, and I'll start making money. Are the hours good? I work less hours and I make more money. I'm my own boss now, so I set my own hours. Okay, this all sounds pretty great. What do you think I should do? You need to sign up for Uber. You can make serious life-changing money when you drive with Uber. Get started today at drivewithuber.com. That's drivewithuber.com. Drivewithuber.com. Half-priced homeschool tuition. Hi, this is Bill Files, GM here at Salem Media Group in Orlando. Over the past four years, we've helped more than 150 parents and their children get into a Christian education environment with half-priced tuition. Well, now I've got some exciting news for parents who homeschool. We are now offering a whole new segment of half-priced tuitions for campus-based homeschool curriculum. If you're a parent or grandparent of children who are homeschooled, this could be a terrific opportunity for you. Go to AmazingRadioDeals.com and click on Half Price Tuition and check out the new listing at the top of the page for Half Priced Homeschool. It's easy. Go to AmazingRadioDeals.com and click on Half Price Tuition and check out the new listing at the top of the page for Half Priced Homeschool Tuition. Half Priced Homeschool Tuitions, another great idea for the new 950 WTLN. Listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Susie Davis, uh, the co founder of Austin Christian Fellowship, is with us from her home in Texas. Unafraid, the name of her book. Susie, we've got an interesting topic next. It's called A Big Misunderstanding. Right. Um, you know, I would definitely say that. One of the big misunderstandings I had was that um, somehow that when Jesus said there'll be trials and sorrows, that uh, that didn't apply to me. And I thought that, uh, you know, nothing bad would happen um, or nothing bad should happen when you love God and are devoted to him. That was probably one of the hugest misunderstandings that I came to realize when I was mourning with these women out loud is, you know, talking with them about that. But um, But the other... You know, big misunderstanding for me is how um, how I had really, um, in a lot of ways, I had credited the boy who killed my teacher as, as the person who ruined my life. Um, and and in reality, um, you know, he I, there was a time where I really had a um, kind of a confrontation with with the spirit of God over my attitude. And, um, and that was what happened is I started realizing that I needed to just offer forgiveness in my heart. Um, I never had a conversation with, with the person who did, who murdered my teacher, but just, I needed to come, come to terms with it, with, with God and realize that we're all broken 
and we're all really messed up people, and we all end up doing things that break God's heart and hurt other people. And so for me, an additional component of my healing was being able to forgive and be able to look back and say, you know, there were things going on in that kid's life that I couldn't possibly understand that led him to that action. And if I'm feeling like this over witnessing it, how must he feel about having, you know, done what he did? Whatever happened to that young man? He actually, um, he was 13 at the time, and he was diagnosed with schizophrenia. So he was hospitalized, and he um, he got care in a facility, and um, and he ended up, you know, I don't I don't keep up with him now, but he ended up being released from that facility um, and going on to live his life. Back on the scene. Right. We ended up moving back to Austin. For for a season when I got well, God really, we moved to Fort Worth. And I feel like that getting out of Austin helped me grieve and mourn out loud, you know, uh, because I was, my house was situated in between the kid who killed my teacher and my school. So no matter if I went up or down the hill to leave my house, I was confronted with the images or the just the memories of that. When we moved to Fort Worth, that's when all that healing started. Well, we ended up deciding to come back to Austin, and Will and I started Austin Christian Fellowship. And um, I, it was it was interesting to to me when I came back to Austin how much God had done to heal me. But nothing could have surprised me more than when I had my little three year old daughter at the grocery store with me, and I heard a voice talking to me and I looked up and there was the student who had killed my teacher and I I was just it was like I can't even explain it was like a movie scene and um, we had a brief conversation right there by the Cheerios and Rice Krispies and and then he turned around and left and I, I on the inside I was just terrified and screaming but on on the outside I was doing what I needed to do and then I got my daughter to the car and started bawling crying and Reminding myself that, well, just what I told you, that um, that forgiveness is a key component in healing and that God is holy still and that, you know, I feel like for me, seeing him again was just a ne- another necessary piece of my healing in remembering that we're all just messed up kids where God's concerned and we're all loved by him. So huge, huge uh, final fear final exam, I like to call it. Um, in seeing him there in the grocery store. Susie Davis is with us from Austin, Texas, talking about her book, Unafraid, Trusting God in an Unsafe World. Susie, the next topic is simply called The Burn. Right. So, you know, all these these ways God had had healed me, and I, I call them love notes. I was able to look back. A lot of people are able to look back in their life and see how God has done things um, that are beautiful and, and thoughtful, um, and they can't often see it until they look back. When, when you're going through a hard thing, sometimes it's hard to see the love notes God's leaving. Um, but one of the biggest love notes in my life was after God had brought me through all that, just healed me, um, released me from this fear bondage, you know, enabling me to talk to um, the young man who was a student who shot my teacher at the grocery store. And then I, um, I was in Colorado with my family for summer vacation, and I decided to go on a hike with um, the YMCA and just my family didn't go. I went with another group of people. And while I was there, Pat, I, I had one of the biggest epiphanies that I've ever had from God ever. Um, the biggest love note. And it was, we were hiking through an area that had had a burn in the forest and thousands of acres had been burned. And it was one of those times again, where I just heard a God whisper and he said, you know, this is your soul. You've had a burn. And I just started weeping because it was this huge, beautiful, natural mirror. Um, God, the creator, showing me a piece of kind of the inside of my soul. And then I noticed there were all these beautiful little tiny saplings coming up where the burn had taken place. Um, so it was a, a beautiful picture of that verse in Isaiah that says he'll give beauty for ashes. I got back to the cabin later that afternoon, told my husband about it, wanting very much to go um, see the details of the forest fire. And I called the park to talk to a ranger and found out that that burn had taken place the exact same year that my teacher was murdered. And 
it was just, it's just one of those things where you go, God, really? Like, you love me that much to, like, show me something that beautiful and have that happen? And um, so that was really what that was about. And I think God has that for everyone, you know, love notes like that. And now I want you to talk about Finally at Home. In Psalm 91, Moses says, God, through all generations, you've been our home. And what I didn't realize about fear is is I was running away from home. When I was embracing fear and bowing down to fear, I was literally running away from God because God is home. And so finally at home is just this revelation to me or this kind of this marker where I say, you know what, God, you are home. And wherever you are, I'm going to be at home. And if that means I have to go through hard times, I'm going to find myself right at your feet. And if I'm having peaceful, joyful times, then I'm going to delight in you too. But I'm not going to let fear drag me away from from home and your home. Susie, you end the book with an epilogue called Because of a Tree. I think, interestingly enough, God left me love notes most often in trees, is what I say in the book. And I talk about how my dad uh, made me help him plant a tree that was at the the junior high where the murder took place when I was only six years old. And then, you know, I talk about the burn and how those baby trees meant so much to me. And, of course, I can't help but draw the analogy about how God left you know, his son, to hang on a tree on my behalf so I could have a relationship with him, which is kind of what we talked about at the beginning. Like, what's the purpose of having a relationship if hard things are going to happen? Well, it's so you can be in a relationship with God. And so for me, that tree theme really is is all through my life. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm most grateful for the way that Jesus has walked me through the hard things in my life and, and been there and the beautiful things. And certainly grateful to my father, my good father, for choosing to um, allow his son to die so that I could be in that relationship with him. Susie, in 30 seconds, uh, tell our listeners what you want them to take uh, from your book. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to be a person who always prepares for the worst. You don't have to be Um, driven by this what-if scenario in your life. You can have peace and joy, and God is big enough to teach you how to do that and how to love Him and how to let go of your kids and allow them to have peace and joy in their life, too. Susie Davis has been our guest, author of Unafraid. We've got a wrap-up, folks, right after this. Here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, it's the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Back after this. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. What if the only way you had to feed your family was stolen from you by a cruel disease? For the farmer whose hands are now useless, leprosy is a cruel thief. Leprosy's power to cripple, disfigure, and shame is as strong as it's ever been. But American Leprosy Missions is working to change this, and you can help. You can stop leprosy. Right now, you have an incredible opportunity to help and heal children who are suffering. Because it costs only $90 to cure leprosy in three people, you can be the source of their healing. Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. Give now to help those suffering with leprosy. Call American Leprosy Missions right now, 800-443-0838, 800-443-0838. That's 800-443-0838. Or give online at StopLeprosyNow.com. Listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Thanks so much for joining us, folks, here on the Power Hour. I'm your host, Pat Williams, and we always look forward to our visits with you. Rick Bazette was with us from Little Rock, Arkansas, in the first half hour, talking about his book, Be Real. And then we swung down to Austin, Texas, where Susie Davis was our guest. and. Talked about her book, Unafraid. Please visit my website. It's patwilliams.com. 
the Twitter page, Orlando Magic Pat. And my most recent book is out. It's called Vince Lombardi on Leadership. It's up on Amazon.com. Always a wonderful way to order books and find out what's going in that going on in that world. In the meantime, I hope you have a wonderful day tomorrow in church here in uh, Central Florida with your family. And then have a great week ahead as we uh, move through the month of August, folks. You know, summer, where does it go? So we're back next weekend for the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLA. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this same time on the intersection of faith and reason. The new 950 WTLN. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.